Welcome to Scholastic Transmission, a college radio podcast, where we seek to provide you the tools to preserve and promote college radio. I'm Shane Garcia, and as always, I am joined by retired station advisor for 91.7 WIXQ and the man, the myth, the legend himself, Dr. Ralph Doc Rock Antonin. How are you doing today, Doc? I am doing well. I'm looking at a beautiful, out my window, a beautiful sky, no rain, although it might be a little warm. This is a glorious summer day. It's one of those days that's good to be alive. No kids jumping in the pool at all today, Doc? No. <laughs> Shane refers to my next door neighbors who are notorious for jumping in the pool right as I do my Sunday grilling. And they're playing boombox music, too. So I, I don't mind it, but it, it, it's not oldies but goodies, let's just say. They're playing their music, not mine. And hey, every single generation has their own thing, but it's important to embrace that nonetheless. And yes, and that's what WISQ exists for. Diversity of music, I mean, and diversity of people. I mean, that's why we're here. That's that's the reason we exist. And that's part of the reason why we're coming to you today, because we're talking about that diversity, and we're going to be talking about how you can create a welcoming culture at your college radio station. Because all throughout my time as a student disc jockey, and especially so because I was the chief announcer of the station during the time that we welcomed alumni back for our 50th anniversary. And I had the chance to bring the alumni in and talk to them and create testimonials that would play over the airwaves. And all throughout that time, I heard them mention just how much they enjoyed the culture that was there at the station, how they felt like they were part of a family, that they were in this community of fun-loving people coming together for their own personal interests. Yet again, they had the chance to bond with each other and grow this station, and they had a foundation that they could build upon off of to make it better for the future generations to come. And hearing that resonate with so many people throughout that time and to continue to hear that resonate with the alumni that we are bringing on throughout this podcast, it's an integral topic that we have to cover because in order for your college radio station to really grow and to really succeed, you need to have a stable foundation to live off of to begin with. Yeah, that is so true, Shane. And and uh, I tried to, I'll be very blunt, I tried to create that, a sense of family, a sense of community, and everybody pitching in and helping each other in spite of the fact that they're coming from different backgrounds, different values. They may not always be the best of friends, but you got to put that aside. They got to get rid of their ego and they got to work for the common good. Doesn't matter what you are or who you are. That was something I stress. Everybody was appreciated. And I think that was stressed, Doc, mainly in part due to the background that you had. If you want to dive into a little bit about that, about your early days and what all you went through. And we had actually talked about this a little bit during one of our first episodes of Scholastic Transmission where we talked about your early days at Millersville University. But if you want to dive into even a little bit before that, because you have lived a very, very interesting life. Yeah, I was born in a Finnish-American home. I did not speak English until I went to the first grade. Uh, lived in a cold water tenement, which we saw this summer on our trip back. Uh, and let's be honest, there are a bunch of alcoholics living around me, and uh, we were sort of looked down upon. Uh, we were the poor Finns. We lived in Fintown, and uh, even the rich Finns uh, who had their own separate society sort of looked down on me, and I didn't like that, and uh, I remember going to the first grade, and those were the days, Shane, where they put you in uh, bird groups, and I was put in the crows, the lowest reading group. And I wanted to get to be in the top group, the Robins. 
And I went there because I didn't speak English and I felt really snubbed. And but I worked hard and with the blessings of a teacher named Miss Sawyer, managed to get up to the uh, Robins by the end of the year, struggling as I white. And I vowed that uh, I would never. Uh, and my dad was very influential, too, because he always said, always respect the person. Don't judge them by their skin color or uh, in those days, we didn't talk about it. Their, uh, their sexual prefer uh, preference. Uh, but he always said, respect the person. Don't look down on people. And he also gave me one bit of advice when I was getting my doctorate. He says, don't you ever become uppity. Don't you ever become uppity. And I, uh, to this day, that sticks in my mind. So that is where a little bit of my uh, peace and love, I guess, came from and respect for all mankind and humankind, womankind, whatever. And Doc, you were very well-traveled because you got numerous degrees from numerous different places. You lived in multiple towns across the country. And I'm sure that enhanced your awareness as well as you were moving from town to town before landing in Millersville, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I, I started at Tufts University in Boston, which was a very wealthy school. And I felt a little out of place because uh, everybody there had money. <laughs> I got a scholarship, thankfully. Then I went to University of Minnesota for my PhD, and then I wound up teaching at Case Western in Cleveland, Ohio, at the height of the rebellion. I don't, you were way too remember to remember that, uh, way too young, where the, uh, uh, there was a lot of rebellion over uh, uh, discrimination uh, and uh, student revolt and uh, that kind of stuff. And I got to coach an all-African-American uh, basketball team there. And we went to the city championships uh, and won it. And then we were going to Warren, Ohio. And I was driving a bus, if you can believe that. Me and the bus. We're going to Warren, Ohio with the uh, championship uh, YMCA basketball team of uh, Cleveland uh, Circle, which uh, at that time it was called UCY. And uh, we were all uh, African-Americans in the bus. And I'll never forget this. This is, always stands out and I remember this. I was driving the bus and Dwight Lacey was sitting to my side and I had an all-black team, African-American. And uh, we, we pull up to the stop sign, and a guy looks over at us with the meanest look. And Dwight was sitting in the front seat, and he said, you see, Doc, what he's saying, I, what he's looking at us? He hates us. And I looked over, and I said, I think you're right. So that's when I saw the uh, discrimination against uh, blacks in Cleveland. Then I came to Millersville, and I don't say Millersville was – Millersville needed to develop an understanding of working with uh, minorities in 71. So that's a little bit of my background, quick background. But I think that's necessary because you had the chance to see diversity really early on throughout your life. And as you had grown and worked in college and before you eventually landed here in Millersville, could you describe a little bit more about that culture here in Millersville, Pennsylvania? I know you had said that it needed to grow, but especially at the college radio station, because the college radio station up to that point really didn't necessarily find its footing. They didn't have an advisor that really helped them. And when you were kind of thwarted into that role, you had the chance to take on something that was completely out of your realm, but you were up for the challenge. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know. <laughs> I mean, as usual, I took a big risk. I didn't know anything about radio. I mean, I love music and I love radio, but I loved helping students. And and when I came to WIXQ, uh, I noticed a lack of presence of uh, minorities. Uh, and uh, I said, well, I think we're going to have to change this a little bit. And, uh, and so I tried to create a welcoming culture, tried to get the kids to help me understand that. And student funding at that time, of course, demanded that we be open to all students. 
So that that, that was a big incentive. And uh, I just tried to, I guess, say, hey, look, come on, let's welcome everybody here to Billy Ice Cube. Let's not be a little cliquish and standoffish. Everybody's welcome to come to WIHQ. You always told me, Doc, and you, you told me this since the beginning, since I've known you. These hands don't work, but your mind does. <laughs> How did you begin to set the foundation for the station when you became advisor? Well, I, I knew we had to drag, uh, not drag, get, uh, that drag was a horrible word. We wanted to get more people involved, and we wouldn't do it if we were a closed shop. So as you you know me, Shane, well enough to know, I'm a people person, right? I sure do, Doc. And you know that Mama Sada get, gets a little upset because I'll just go talk to anybody wherever I am, right? You sure will. <laughs> and and I'll bring up something out of the blue, and uh, they're called icebreakers, and that's what I deliberately do. So when anybody came to the station, I was like, hey, come on in, you know, what, what are you doing? And and people always like to talk about themselves a little bit. So I'd always initiate a little bit. Hey, where are you from? What do you do? Uh, what's your interest? That kind of stuff. And that was what I always did. And I tried to help uh, others do the same thing. I wanted them, the students who were there. Because remember, they're, they're at a critical age at that time, 2018 to 22. And they're developing their own set of values and their own approach to life. So it, uh, that's how I tried to create the welcoming culture. How often did you place yourself at the radio station, Doc? Because you have to have a lot of presence to have had an impact on so many over the years. Well, when I became advisor, it became abundantly clear that I was I was, uh, I was not paid at the time. I did not have release time, but I, I just sort of liked going down there. And I liked talking to the kids. And, and of course, later on, because I was spending... Whew, I would say 10, 15 hours a week there, it became part of my job assignment, uh, according to the union contract. So I loved it. I like Mike Kyle, loved going to the, uh, doing his radio show. I love going to WIXQ and seeing all kinds of people. And as you know, we are radical, renowned, and real, right? We sure are. That's the slogan we came up with. Yeah, and, and uh, we are different types of people. I mean, we were in some way a group that might have been rejected by other organizations, but found a, a safe home at WIXQ because we were all a bunch of nerds, uh, music nerds who are bound by this passion of music. So that became a very common thing to have people. People may not have liked everybody, but they all had one thing in common. They loved their music. And it doesn't even have to be music. It could be sports. It could be some other personal topic that has drawn them into the radio station. But like you said, it's kind of like a bunch of misfits coming together for whatever reason. But they all have their own individuality to them. And I think that's what makes college radio so unique. But because of that, because somebody might feel like they're an outcast coming into the radio station, the station can be that safe place, especially the studio, for them to go in. They can hang out, do their show, and just be themselves, but there's more than that to college radio. There is so much more to that, and you want them to come together and meet people, whether or not they can relate to them or find something that they have in common with. You want them to have a presence, and as Josh Hankins, our guest on Episode 9 of Scholastic Transmission, he's the current advisor for Franklin and Marshall College's radio station. He had said that when he was a DJ at the station, he really enjoyed coming in and having the chance to hang out 
or go outside of the radio station to hang out with his fellow DJs once he got to know them. For you, Doc, looking back on your time as advisor, what other platforms were given to the students outside of their radio show to get to know each other? Because Josh stressed the importance that he wanted to craft that for his own station because they currently don't have that. Well, of course, the playroom <laughs> became a common uh, lunchtime period where everybody was welcome and you participated in it. Uh, I think I still remember the first time meeting you when you were coming into the playroom, you stood at the door and couldn't get in because every seat was occupied, right? Yeah, even the floor was occupied at that point. Yeah, and the conversations would range from, oh my gosh, uh, anything was fair game, right? It sure was. Sometimes some weird stuff happened down there, but you had a bunch of kids willing to, you know, some were quiet, took them a while to open up, but they were listening. And then eventually they got the power to speak. And, and as you know, there were some uh, really diverse groups came down to sit with us. Uh, all, uh, everybody was there. I mean, and, and it, it, was, it was freedom of expression, freedom of thought. Although sometimes it got a little bit out of hand and Doc had to like, uh, when people started to get a little too intense with each other, Doc had to intercede because people who get together sometimes don't all have the same opinion or same thing. And sometimes it would go beyond that. But if you looked at what college is all about, it's free expression. I agree to disagree with you. And I had to keep stressing that. That was one thing that, uh, that we did at lunchtime that kept us as a group together in a sense of family. Why do you think the students were so drawn into hanging out with each other at the lounge or the playroom, as you call it? I think it was a safe space. I mean, you could be of any, any uh, culture, any value structure, and there it didn't matter. I mean, you could be as weird as you wanted. You could be as, as, as uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, outspoken. And, and you could say whatever was on your mind. And, and although it might be challenged intellectually, they didn't throw you out of the room. And I found up learning a lot from kids. And I found out, I guess I found out that every, you had to be able to express your opinion and without getting mad at each other. And then basically uh, uh, accepting people, even though they differed from you, even though they had different thoughts than you, even though they had different backgrounds than you. They had to be able to be accepted. And, and you couldn't get your ego into it so much so that you say, oh, I'm not, rah, 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 rah. you know, you couldn't do that. That's not what this was about. What I find very interesting is that so many people were drawn into this space, and yet the presence of the advisor was there. There was still this, this higher power above them, but they were willing to be open, and they were willing to be as crazy and as weird as they wanted to be while you were still there. Why do you think that was, and what effects do you think your thoughts had on the students when they were there? I didn't judge. I never judged. You were allowed to say whatever you wanted to say, and I didn't judge it. Even though I may have totally disagreed with it, even though I said, well, that's a little over the edge. <laughs> but I didn't judge it. I let them express themselves. It was a safe place to, to do that. And that was very, very crucial to keeping the station uh, as a family. And, and you know families disagree, Shane. They sure do. Every family fights. Uh, but you had to put that fight aside and say, hey, look, we're in this for the music. This is our common bond. 
and let's 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 keep keep the personalities in check. Once you started to hook the students in, you hooked them in, you reeled them in. It's like you were casting a rod and you hooked them in and they became aware of that family-based attitude that you had, Doc. What practices did you take notice that the students started to do to draw in other people and grow the radio station? Well, of course, we had a position called operations manager where we trained all the new people. And that person was what I call the bloodline of WIXQ. That person had to be welcoming because they had to have, sometimes we had 40 trainees and they, they had to basically deal with them and find them spots, help educate them. I'm sure they didn't all necessarily agree with the person, but thought the operations manager was crucial to bringing people in. We also went to these open, what do they call them? Uh, open days from like 11.30 to 1.30 where you'd have a booth or a table and you gather names of people come on down. Uh, and that was another way to reach out to them. Uh, we also used the snapper to great advantage to advertise events and, and, and put, as Mike Kyle uh, talked about, snapshots of uh, WISQ DJs and, and, and that showed the welcoming group because we had a bunch of DJs who were uh, uh, not mainstream, but who uh, would, would go out there and, and uh, do uh, events and play music and they would then play their rap. I mean, there's a f- bad, not a, it's a funny story because uh, JJ, I don't know who it was, it was a rapper. And I sent the rapper out to play at a uh, at one of those things they have in the fall or the spring where everybody has booths and that kind of stuff. And the rapper decided to play pure rap music, if you know what I mean. And uh, a little bit uncensored, Shane. And uh, uh, I got a quick call about, hey, what's the idea of sending this guy over with this naughty music? And I said, well, I mean, he's just playing rap music. You know what I mean? And uh, so I did, uh, he, uh, so sometimes you had to be careful of that kind of stuff, but it happened. And, and uh, that, that was the uh, same with heavy metal. We sent a heavy metal guy over there. And uh, Shane, you know, some of that heavy metal can get a little uh, raunchy uh, at times, right, Shane? Do you know that? It certainly can. And I know a number of people who played some of that raunchy heavy metal on the airways. Of course, it was censored, but they played it because there's an audience for it. Exactly. And so we attracted people. They said, I mean, administration may have said, what are they doing down there? But the students said, you know, I like that music. I might try that place out. You know what I mean? So we were attracting students, uh, not necessarily making administration totally happy, although they never got on my case. And and it was it was just a way of bringing people in. Posters on the wall. Remember when the I think it was was it Darissa would say put up posters, and they these some of the wackiest posters you'd ever want to see. I mean, and as Darissa said, they put them up, and then somebody would come and tear them down from the uh, from the the, the uh, what do you call it uh, some office. You know what I mean? But that didn't stop them. Back the posters would go, and kids would say, "Hey, they still got those posters up," and that would draw people in. You know what I mean? There's another element of posters that I want to bring up that could be saved for a later episode if we talk about the student retention when it comes to trying to reel people in to run for positions. But that's something for down the road. But you had mentioned the operations manager, the importance of having a welcoming operations manager. And I just had to take a a second to shout out our operations manager that we had at WIXQ throughout these past couple years, Alicia Gargas. 
Alicia Gargas is without a doubt probably the sweetest girl that I have ever met in my entire life. And she kind of viewed her trainees as her children almost, where she would try to craft them, not necessarily try to craft them, but she would try to bring them in and use her sweetness to draw them in and pair them up with people that she feel like that they could bond with and get to know and just form a relationship with. And she really looked at that, not necessarily as a challenge, but as something that she really had a deep passion for. And she always took great care in reaching out to them and making sure that they were getting trained the right way, that they had a safe space that they could come to if something wasn't going right. And having somebody there like that is really necessary. So shout out to Alicia for all that and everything that she had done. Oh, yeah. And there were a bunch of other. I remember remember Alicia. She was just she was great. And there was another uh, another set of Alicia's. And 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 uh, I think Marley Dorsey uh, is is right now the operations manager, and I've got to know her a little bit, and 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 she is all about bringing diverse people in and giving them a chance. And even outside of campus, doc, because once you start to get to know people and you start to get this bond, you want to do stuff with your station members that you really have taken a liking to, and do stuff outside of campus in the community, different events. Do I do I dare bring up WIXQ bowling, doc? Yeah, that's that, yeah. That was a a great bonding experience. Except a, a couple gentlemen got a little out of hand and decided that bowling was not necessarily rolling; it was throwing, and and they started uh, throwing the ball down the alley. And uh, although a busload, they went in a busload because uh, I think there might have been some liquid refreshments going on. And these two gentlemen uh, decided that uh, let's see if we can make bowling shot putting, and uh, and and so they sort of had to be uh, escorted <laughs> back to the bus. But in in retrospect, it was a it was a bonding experience, and and everybody was welcome, and everybody went. And there's a number of different events, of course, that we can talk about that you can do, or a number of different activities that you can do with your fellow station members to further develop that bond that you have with them. But that again is for another, another episode down the road. Well, I can remember one final one that, that was very successful. We, we, we happened to play, uh, we're not the most sports minded, but we happen to always play the snapper in a, in a uh, baseball game. And uh, the bonding experience of uh, beating the snapper was always there. I mean, one guy even uh, lit a bunch of snappers at home plate, uh, in in the game and we also put a basketball team and at that time we had a really good basketball player could slam dunk and we won the tournament even though the bulk of the WIQ people were not athletes so <laughs> I mean they had a lot of bonding experiences and creating the family and it was all always a diverse group of people going now it's great that we talk about all of the good that can come from a welcoming culture but unfortunately at times there are going to be people who don't accept other people And there could very well be an undercurrent of that unacceptance going on at your radio station. How do you combat that, Doc, as the station advisor for somebody who is trying to be so open and bringing people into the station? Well, I was there at lunchtimes all the time, and I saw behavior that I knew was not welcoming. I actually saw sometimes behavior that was undermining what I wanted to do, okay? And that was a very delicate thing because the advisor has to be sensitive to that. And I had to pull aside a couple people sometime who are in leadership positions and say, hey, look, uh, 
I here's what I'm sensing. I I never got to in their face or blame them, and I I always put my arm around them and I said, you know, I think you ought to take a look at what's going on around you. Have you noticed there's not many people coming to lunch anymore, even though you're encouraging them? Have you ever thought that maybe some of the things you're doing is discouraging them? And and I've had a, I had a couple very very uh, emotional experiences where the person did not, in fairness to them, didn't realize they were thought they would, that was just humor. But humor directed that way sometimes can really hurt and discourage people from coming. So as advisor, I had to play a very, I call it walk, walking the balance beam without really hurting the person, but pointing out to them that their behavior is not welcoming. And we need to welcome everybody here at WISQ. And that is one of those advisor roles that's not clearly specified. It's just something that you develop as you go along. I don't think it's in the job description. And that can have an effect on anybody who's trying to get involved in the station or even people that are already there. If there's somebody there that is trying to undermine whether or not it's intentional or it's not, it can have a drastic effect on the radio station and keep your station from growing in the years to come, reaching out to different diverse groups of students, especially if there's minorities involved because some minorities might not feel like they're welcome at the radio station. Oh yeah, and there were times when I said clearly to myself, they're not helping the cause of bringing in minority students or people who are different than them. So I tried uh, and I didn't always succeed, but I, I tried to make it so that they would understand that their behavior was detrimental to the station and not that they weren't doing a good job otherwise, but they needed to tone down that, uh, what would I call it, alienating behavior. How did you want to see the station reach out, Doc, to different minorities and bring them into the radio station? Well, I mean, the lunches were one way. Operations manager training, I always sort of said, I tried to talk to them and ask them about how many, you know, people did you have? What, what kinds of people were working there and that kind of stuff. So presence was very important as an advisor. You had to be there uh, almost every day just to make sure that things didn't boil over as the classic egg and olive story that we told a while back. I mean, that became, you had to try to nip it in the bud and then encourage people to change their ways a little bit and, you know, start, start uh, accepting people uh, that they ordinarily, and it wasn't part of their background. I mean, I had the beauty of having a very diverse background and that really helped me when I came to Millersville. I was young and foolish at one time, uh, but by, by growing uh, in Minnesota, in Cleveland, Boston, I saw everything. I saw tanks on the streets. I saw riots. And I said, hey, I don't like this. In order to understand somebody, you've got to walk in their shoes. And I always tried to say, okay, that's behavior. I'm not necessarily approving of it, but why is it happening? Let me see if I can walk in that person's shoes and come at it from their perspective. I want to go back a little bit there, Doc, because you had mentioned how things can boil over. And sometimes things boil over a little bit too much. There's a mess made all over the kitchen floor. In this case, the radio station's floor. And you may be a man of peace and love. You always say that you're a man of peace and love. And I know you're a man of peace and love. 
But as the station advisor, you had the right, you absolutely had the right to unaccept someone, even though you wanted to accept people into the station, you had the right to unaccept them if they had done something damaging to the radio station. Oh, yeah. I mean, I kicked a couple kids off the air. I mean, I got caught in a couple situations where uh, <laughs> I just said, that's it, you're done, go. Uh, because you have just, you're just ruining the station. You're not working for the station, you're working against the station. We have commonly said all throughout this podcast that it only takes one person to bring the whole entire thing down. And man, I hope that doesn't happen at anybody's station. Because we want to see college radio live. We want to see college radio be preserved and promoted for the years to come. And I really hope nobody does anything to take down your station. And I hope everybody at your station, whether or not you're a student, an alum, a listener, is working together to grow the station and bring in students so that way they can grow it when they are there and create a culture that is welcoming for new generations after them. So one last question here for you, Doc. As somebody who was in college radio as the advisor for 40 years, what techniques do you think the students should continuously take to craft and build upon the culture that is there and to really allow it to evolve and grow in future years to come? Well, first of all, they should elect some people uh, who are different to key positions, like station manager. And that happened at Millersville. I can tell you the first African-American station manager who was perhaps uh, one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to meet. And he was elected station manager. And, and uh, he did it at, at a time when there were very few African-Americans at the station. And he got himself elected because he was able to, how should I put this, uh, gain the support of everybody. And I think it's necessary that we bring on somebody like him. And Doc, do you think it's time that we bring him on to Scholastic Transmission? Oh, you bet. You bet. Because uh, he and I had a big bond. And he, if you read the history of WIXQ, he is in there a lot. Not just with Millersville Radio, but I think WDAS. WDAS in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah, and he was he was actually doing, I think, three radio shows, and he actually helped me do community ascertainment, which got us to have minorities and, and acceptance and, and community in one of the, you know how you have to have six uh, things that the station is going to handle. Uh, he helped me write that. And uh, have we given his name yet? We have not given his name, but we will be joined next week by Kevin Disco Dixon, that's right. Isn't that a name? That's a radio name. Disco Dixon, Doc, to talk about his days at WIXQ at Millersville University, his other jobs in radio, and what he has done after, because he's now Dr. Kevin Disco Dixon, and he is helping, he's always helping, Doc, to grow the community around him now in Ohio, of all places. Yes, and he has just retired. I just talked to him the other day. He is now retired, and you know what he's still doing? What's that, Doc? He's, he's drawing, he's on seven boards, either paid or non-paid because he's retired. And the guy just epitomizes someone who wants to help people grow, change, and help everybody. So I'm looking forward to if you can reach out to him. It's very necessary that we have somebody on the podcast who really wants to help, 
We've had a couple of them on so far, but especially somebody that can help different groups because that's really what's going to help your radio station grow in the end. So come back next week as we talk to Kevin Disco Dixon about his time in radio, college radio that is. In the meantime, you can stay up to date with Scholastic Transmission and follow us all across social media at College Radio Pod. And be sure to share the podcast with your friends, your family, and anybody that loves college radio. Now, before we talk to Dr. Disco Dixon, Doc, is there anything else that you would like to talk about today in regards to creating a welcoming culture at your station? Nope. Sense of community, sense of family, sense of belonging. It's in the literature. Ernie Boyer said it. That's all I'm going to say. And that's all for us on this episode of Scholastic Transmission. So for Dr. Ralph Doc Rock Antonin, I'm Shane Garcia. Thank you so much for listening to Scholastic Transmission, a college radio podcast. Class is dismissed.